Our guest today is Lee Jackson, a musician who has worked on many titles but is perhaps best known for his work on the song that you can hear playing now, the title theme to Duke Nukem 3D, aka Grab Bag. This is Lee's 2018 remastering of the song that we can hear, so let's hear a blast of it to kick us off. Lee, welcome, sir. Are you just like the rest of us? Do you air guitar to the Duke Nukem theme tune when you hear it? <laughs> no, I just sit back and listen, basically. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard it many, many times. Oh, many times, many times. How did it all begin for you, Lee? Uh, did you always plan to become a composer from the beginning? Uh, depends on what you call the beginning. Um I started composing, or at least trying to write little bits of music back when I was, I would say, around 13 or 14, um, just notating little things on a very, very small piece of note paper. Um, got a little bit more ambitious when I got myself into high school uh that would be about age 14 um tried to do some uh, music notation for my high school band um eventually wound up writing a couple of things for them um got one thing played out on uh the out in the stadium with my high school marching band and it turned out to be a rendition of the United States National Anthem. And it was requested by my uh, high school band director. It was actually given to me as a project my junior year to write an unusual version of the National Anthem. It turned out it was so unusual that the football players couldn't sing to it, and it got canceled <laughs> after one play. Does sound like a dangerous game to play with the national anthem in front of it the stadium. <laughs> I, I got called upon the carpet by a couple of people, including the choir director, who said, "You don't mess with the national anthem." I just sat. I just sat back and took it, and was ticked off at the world for a couple of days. So, uh, one thing led to another, and I wound up going into music education when I was in college. That fell through because of a lack of money and other support, and I didn't give up, though. Uh, wound, wound up continuing to try and write music for marching bands and drum and bugle corps. Never could get any traction with that, but it was good practice because I got traction with uh, Apogee Software. All Although not as not as a composer, I got traction as a tech support representative. Yes, I did notice in your credits that you have credits for other jobs at Apogee before you come on to the musical credits. But we'll come on to your time at Apogee a little bit. I just want to talk a little bit more about those early years. You start. You said you started writing 
uh, at around about the age of 13. So what was the first instrument that you, you picked up and learned then at that age or before? The first one that I actually successfully played was a bass clarinet. Okay. Um, I, I was handed a tenor sax, but it was broken and my band director didn't know it. I had a rather incompetent band director um, who didn't know the difference between couldn't play the horn and couldn't play because the horn was broken. Uh, so he, he gave me my second choice, which was a bass clarinet. I played that for three years and then switched over to bassoon. Can't make a sound on a stringed instrument to save my life. Don't know how I got into writing music for guitar. But, <laughs> yeah, it's quite a surprise given the distinctive riff on that Duke Nukem music. Yeah, just I learned how to listen to guitar, just haven't learned how to play the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of computers and video games, did you have an interest in that before you started at Apogee? Where did computers begin for you? Oh, God, computers. Uh, I would have to say set, uh, ooh, eighth grade, junior high school for me. Um, I was around 14. Um, we had a teletype machine that dialed into the school district's mainframe with a, uh, a acoustic coupler. And I got permission to use the thing and we programmed in basic on that thing. Um, I kept trying to write a roulette program on it. Messed with that for a while after I'd in my algebra class, after I'd finished my assignments, I'd get permission to go across to the computer room and play with it for a while. I didn't get a computer of my own, though, until I was much older. Uh, I was married with child. Uh, I think it was 1992 when I got my own first computer. I'd worked with computers up at uh, the place where I'd worked. Was this this was a job at the was it the IRS? I believe you worked. Yes, that's right. The, inter okay. the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. Okay, so this is not a musical job. <laughs> not at all. Not <laughs> so at all. So how are you? It, how are you quenching your thirst for music? Is this a, a hobby, or are you part of a band, or are you still with the marching bands as you're working at the IRS? Uh, the way I was quenching my my thirst for music was by basically coming home and trying to hand write arrangements for marching bands. I mean, with a pencil and a piece of staff paper uh, and some white out for when I screwed up. I sent off a couple of things. I got one, I got one other thing performed later on, which is an arrangement of a Beethoven brass quintet. Uh, well, a, actually a Beethoven piano sonata that I arranged for uh, a brass ensemble. So you're working at the IRS, you are making your compositions in the evening, um, but somehow you find your way into the video games industry. So how does this leap happen? Well, um, it happens by way of uh, networks by way of the FidoNet network. It's a, a network of computers calling each other on telephones with modems. 
with bulletin board software and uh, just relaying packets of messages from one bulletin board to another. And I ran what was called a point off of one of those bulletin boards. In other words, uh, nobody could call me, but I could call in to one of them and download messages. Um, and I ran something else called uh, hack, the hack report, which was a listing of software that had been hacked, um, software that people had gone into and like changed the version number and uploaded as new software. You know, the, they'd taken version 3.0, gone in with a hex editor, changed it to version 3.5 and uploaded it as the latest and greatest version of uh, software X, you know, download it and here you get some extra download points for yourself for uploading this brand new software. Uh, cheating, in che other cheating words. Cheating the system to get download credits, yes, yeah. Yeah, so I'd keep this list of who had done that or what files were to be avoided and that spread out through BBSs all over the place. I had uh, reporters who would send me lists of files like that from as far away as South Africa. And I even had distribution over the internet on that. Um, now, how I got connected with Apogee Software was through a hack of one of the versions of I believe either Duke Nukem, one of the first games, or Wolfenstein 3D. Um, one of those two, I don't remember. But I got in contact with Joe Sigler, who was the BBS person for Apogee Software. And we started conversing back and forth and... I was not happy with my job at the IRS at that time. I was pretty much in a dead-end state. Um, I wasn't getting anywhere with just writing music at home. So I was. I made mention that I wish that I could have some sort of computer job like he had. And one thing led to another, and the next thing I know, I'm moving from Austin to Dallas or Garland, Texas, to join Apogee Software as a tech support representative. And was there any kind of interview process involved? Did you did you have to prove your skills to them beyond what you'd done on uh, FidoNet? There was um, I had to go up to Garland and present some of what I'd done. I presented some code that I'd written. I had programmed some in C uh, for the Internal Revenue Service, and I managed to uh, technically smuggle some of it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was an earlier version of something that was working at the time. Um, it, w it involved a similar code as well. Um, it was just a, a backup program. I wouldn't say that it was classified or anything like that. It was just just a utility program that I wrote. Um, I showed that off to them. Um, I told them how I conversed with taxpayers. 
showed off what I knew about computers is I'd started off with a 286.12 and upgraded the RAM from individual chips, you know, a, a tube of individual RAM chips and plug those into the motherboard. And that, that got me some additional XMS memory. Um, I upgraded the hard drive in it and that impressed them sufficiently to get me into the tech support room. I should think so. If you can display all of those facets from upgrading your machine through to programming in assembly language, that's a pretty broad range of skills. So you, you found your way into Apogee. And can you remember what you were providing tech support for in those first days or first years? Playing video games. Playing video games. That must have been a nice change from the IRS. It was. <laughs> I had to learn how to play the video games, though. <laughs> I really, I really wasn't much of a video game player at the time. I'd played a couple of video games. I played Wolfenstein 3D. Um, my, I mean, my first week there at Apogee was spent sitting in a corner playing nothing but video games, and. Um, after that, they let me loose on the telephones and then the, the developers moved into the building. Tom Hall, Mark Dockerman, Jim Doge, all of the people who were working on Wolfenstein 2, which eventually turned into Rise of the Triad. I hung out with them for a while and told Mark Dockerman of what I was doing and he gave me, bless his soul, his copy of Cakewalk 2.0 for Windows. And that's what started everything. So was that the first time that you'd utilized computers in your music making process with Cakewalk Pro or had you had some experience earlier? I'd had some experience with a little program called Music Printer Plus. It was I can't say little program. It was quite expensive, but it had such a steep learning curve that I hadn't figured it out yet by the time that Mark gave me this program. Uh, Cakewalk Pro, uh, or Cakewalk for Windows is what it was called. It, it had such a intuitive interface that I took to it like a duck takes to water and started writing MIDI songs almost instantly. And the first song that I brought up for Tom Hall and the rest of the gang to listen to as a potential level song for Rise of the Triad was uh, a march based on the Chopin death march. The dun, dun, da, dun, dun, da, da, dun, 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 except that I'd sped it up and I thought that it was the greatest thing that I'd done until I actually stood in front of Tom Hall and listened to it. And Tom looked at me, handed me my my floppy disk back, and I said, "I'll keep working." <laughs> <laughs> But it worked for you, though, in, in eventually, because you are credited on Rise of the Triad uh, mm -hmm. in collaboration with uh, uh, Robert or Bobby Prince. 
Yes. Um, who also created the music for the earlier Wolfenstein 3D um, and, and many other games. So this was the first video game title that you worked on uh, musically. Yes. Um, did Bobby Prince help you in any way to ease into to the role or, you know, did he peer review your work or anything like that? Or were you working separately? Uh, we worked separately on that. Um, I had very little contact with him, if hardly any at all. He was working more on, uh, I think at that time he was, he had migrated over to the beginnings of Duke Nukem 3D, was working on Doom Mm -hmm. more than anything else. So I really did not get to see him very much. Um, my work on Rise of the Triad was sort of a, a whirlwind because I had been given a, a proposition by Scott Miller and George Broussard um, after bringing up songs and bugging Tom Hall uh, and and Tom Hall bugging the two of them. Um, I was told, okay, here's the deal. We're going to let you work independently at home for six weeks. We want you to write all the music for the game. And you're going to have to come up and work the tech support lines during the lunchtime hours so that the tech support guys can go and eat. And then you can go home and continue working on the songs. You got six weeks to do it. And were you, were you fired up for that? Was that a challenge that you were, you were up for? I was scared as I was scared (laughs) to death, but I said not only yeah, but hell yeah, basically. Um, uh, I took that and wound up coming up with some very interesting stuff, a very interesting mix of stuff, uh, ranging from rock and roll to, uh, medieval stuff to polka. I mean, just any genre that you can think of was probably uh, represented in the repertoire of Rise of the Triad. So we're talking a pretty good stretch of music here. And it was all done like a a song per day at times. We're we're talking 28 songs in six weeks' time. So that's uh, intense. That's intense. I think it's the perfect time now to have a listen to some of that music. So we'll just play some of the music from uh, Rise of the Triad now.
So Lee, next we come on to Duke Nukem 3D and that iconic riff. Uh, you've mentioned to us earlier that you, you don't play guitar, but you, you, hit, you can listen to guitar and you can obviously pick out and create a tune for it on whatever you were using. Was it still Cakewalk or some other setup for Duke Nukem 3D? It's been Cakewalk all the way through. Uh, I've used Cakewalk through all of its iterations, all the way up to the current Cakewalk by BandLab uh, version, which is uh, free, believe it or not. Uh, if anybody wants to try and uh, follow along with me, just uh, do a search for Cakewalk by BandLab. There are no fees whatsoever involved in using that software, and it is powerful. I mean, they did not cut anything out of it when they went to a free model. And was the setup for creating the Duke Nukem music similar to Rise of the Trad? Were you working from home in a home studio, or had you progressed to something different by that point? This, no, this was a little different. Um, after I'd finished with the music for Rise of the Triad, um, my time as an independent composer was done, and I went back into the tech support room. But by that time, they had brought on the developers from Duke Nukem, uh, for the Duke Nukem 3D. And I was kind of told to leave them alone. Kind of just gently told, let them get up, get on about their business. And um, I kind of ignored that. <laughs> you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> Could not. I went, I went down, listened to some of the music that they were listening to at the time. Um, eventually got up the gumption to bring in my first uh, – MIDI files to them and let them hear some of what I had as ideas for this, for the stuff. Well, Bobby Prince was again working with them and he was working more directly with them. And this is where I had sort of a moral dilemma. I felt a little bit like I was stepping on Bobby's, toes uh, in doing music for Duke Nukem 3D. I've met with Bobby or talked with Bobby in the years since, and he's told me time and again, no, that's not the case. Uh, he, he's absolved me for any kind of sins that I may have committed during those years. I kept kept on bringing in music for that game. I also kept bringing up other music for another game that was being worked on at the time called Stargunner, which was using a uh, tracker to do music. Uh, in They were doing mod files, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, so these were using samples as opposed to MIDI music. Yes. Yeah. I wrote a song called Night Storm on a Texas Road. I brought that up and let George Broussard hear it. I was still in the tech support room, though, still kind of frustrated in there, but I was doing my best to convince him that 
I was better off writing music. I was worth more to the company writing music than I was answering telephones. So um, eventually the company agreed. And in July, uh, I'm sorry, in January, let me get my J's straight there. In January of 1996, I was promoted to music and sound director of Apogee 3D Realms. And I moved across the hall into an office and had my own little setup going. And I was, I was told that I could write music, but I had to do sound effects too. So this is 96. This is the same year that Duke Nukem was released. Um, yes. And it's a, it's a great sounding title, Music and Sound Director. In reality, was there anyone else working with you or were you the sound guy? Were you the only chap there? I was the sound guy. You were the sound guy. <laughs> I suspected as much. And yeah. uh, had Duke Nukem been released at this point or were you then officially working on that project? Oh, it hadn't been released yet. Okay. No, it didn't get released until later that year. Um, I was officially writing music for the game. Bobby Prince was also writing music, and he was doing all of the sound effects for the game. My big job was to get music written for Duke Nukem 3D at that time in 1996. Um, I'd already written several tracks in 95, so I was already on the board, and it was just a matter of getting things finished, getting a song ready for every level of the game so you know my me in combination with bobby we had one song ready for every single level of the game and can and, you remember when grab bag that, that theme tune to duke nukem was selected and, and put on the title screen can you remember seeing that for the first time that that happened I'm not 100% sure whether or not I was the music and sound director yet. I don't think I was. But it happened on the night of the grand opening of Star Trek Generations, the movie. I was standing in line with my wife and with the rest of the company. We'd all gone out to see it together, and we were waiting there. I was standing in front of Greg Malone, who was one of the project directors for Duke Nukem 3D, technically the project director. He worked for George and Scott, and he turned to me and said, oh, by the way, we've picked grab bag is the theme song for Duke Nukem 3D and my jaw hit the pavement I'm I looked back at him and went uh, 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 what <laughs> grab bags the theme song for Duke Nukem 3D I, I said why <laughs> he said well we just played through all of the songs that we had and that one sounded the most like uh like it would be a theme song. I said, well, it was, it's 
it was written to be a level song. And I, he said, well, it sounds more like a more like a theme song. So we're going to use it that way. And that kind of disrupted my thinking for the rest of the movie. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, it did make the rest of the night a, l- a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. But it also disrupted my thinking for the next several months because I wound up uh, wanting to expand the song. I didn't even think it was complete at the time that he selected it, uh, that he and George selected it. Um, I only had the part that you hear when you play the game, actually. It just that one short loop. I didn't have the part that has the guitar solo and the synthesizer solo. Those got added on to the plutonium pack slash atomic edition. And they were released as a secret track on the CD that they were distributed with. Um, They weren't publicized. So only a few lucky people found out, Hey, there's something extra on this CD. Wow. Um, But I guess that's why a lot of people have done covers of it without the, the solo tracks. Um, Don't get me started on the covers. Uh, (laughs) There are many of them, many of them, many of them. And there's many of, covers of covers that would have me talking for the next four years. <laughs> so you don't want to get me started on that. <laughs> if you, if you had to pick one cover, can, can you pick one that you, that you like that, that has your Lee Jackson seal of approval? Oh, good Lord. Uh, I'd have to go back through YouTube and watch for the next hour. Um, I'm, but there are some good ones out there. It's not, you know. There are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There are some very good ones out there. There are some that stick close to my original vision for the the song. That's the important part. They don't stray from the original uh, melodic line. Uh, they don't cover another cover. Mm-hmm. To put it, to put it politely. Um, and they don't cover the damn Megadeth cover. (laughs) (laughs) Now you mentioned earlier, uh, the game Shadow Warrior. Now this was another game that was made using Ken Silverman's build engine that Duke Nukem was based on as well, albeit tweaked and improved. But when we come onto the audio there, the audio is actually streamed from CD rather than being MIDI or Sound Blaster or an ad-libbed version. So for you, this must have meant all limitations were lifted for you as a musician. Was that how it felt when you moved on to CD music for games? Yes, and it was a bit frightening, to be honest. There's um, there's a bit of comfort in limitation because you know what you've got to work with. When it comes to general MIDI, you've got 128 voices or instruments to work with in a 16 track environment 
um, plus a certain number of drum patches to work with. And it's easier to compose based on that little universe. But then when you open your eyes and discover that the universe is much, much vaster than you thought it was, and you're expected to use a lot of it, if not all of it, it's a scary thought. Um, because I, my universe went from a Roland SC-88 to... That instrument plus a Kurzweil K2500RS plus a Kawai K5000 plus an Emu E4XT plus a whole bunch of patches for each one of those instruments um, plus wave files that I could plug into a digital audio workstation. Um, samples that I could pull off of CDs. Uh, it was just astounding the amount of freedom that I had. And, you know, it was like going from the kiddie pool, not to the big pool, but to the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> it's a good analogy. I've actually got an SC-88 um, on the shelves uh, over there. I can see it. it's the uh, the slimline is it the I think the VL version so the the little SC88 so that's what you were using previously was it for things like Duke Nukem yes I yes. was using the version that had the display on it the full SC88 I I currently have an SC88 Pro that I'm using for composition and uh, it's it it's still a powerful box um I integrate it into everything else that I have. So if we want to hear Duke Nukem the way you wanted it to be heard, is that the box that we should put it through then here? That's the box. Perfect. I will power that up and have a listen to it later. Um, <laughs> and then you've mentioned all of this other new kit in this new expanded universe. Would, did that kit come to you as part of a budget that Apogee gave you to go and spend, spend, spend? Or did you have to build that studio yourself, buy that equipment yourself? A little bit of neither. Um, <laughs> I I bought the K5000R myself, the Kawai K5000R. Um, the other, the, the Kurzweil, we did a, a swap for. The rest of it, I had to kind of um, implore my employers for, you know, I'm not going to use the word beg because uh, that would be too accurate. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't given a fixed budget. I was never given a budget to work with. It was just check in and see if there was, if I'd caught them on a good day. And if I had, I got lucky. If I hadn't, I probably set my back, set myself back a couple of weeks. Uh, so mm, go figure. Well, you clearly did a good job because the shadow warrior music is, is 
held in high regard and it's it's very varied music from level to level there's a really nice range of music uh including i believe a rap hidden away on there <laughs> low wang's rap just tell us a that, little bit how how did that come about oh boy <laughs> that is something that was requested by formgen um the publisher of the game they wanted a rap uh for exhibition at the E3 uh, Expo, which was held in Atlanta that particular year. And they wanted Lo Wang to do the rap. The person, John William Galt, who played Lo Wang, to do the rap. He cannot rap his way out of a wet paper bag. Uh, I got John William Galt into the recording studio that we were we were hiring at the time and tried to direct him in this because I, I had written music for it. And um, tried to do some sort of hip hop style music. The music came first. The rap came second. Um, I tried to get John to, uh, follow along with the music in reading the words. He didn't. We got a grand total of one usable word out of that recording session. It was the word now. Um, what I wound up doing was taking words that we'd already used in uh, in the game and in outtakes, things that hadn't made it into the game, uh, put them into my digital audio workstation, sequenced them, and just made sure that they were coherent, that they told a coherent story and by the time everything was put together, um, it actually came out kind of funny. I had one one person up at the office who just laughed his butt off every time he heard me play that. And he requested it on a couple of occasions. <laughs> so I consider that a good success. Absolutely. Absolutely. It did give me a good laugh. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the word pun there, because just to go off piste from video games uh, now, I want to ask you about something called the O. Henry Pun-Off World Championships. Oh, dear Lord. you were the world champion. You won this competition, didn't you? Just, just tell the audience what this is, the O. Henry Pun-Off World Championships. Ah, uh, it is a competition held at the O. Henry Home and Museum in Austin, Texas, um, basically it's, uh, divided into two parts. There is one part where you present a prepared pun. You've got 90 seconds in which to do it. Um, it can be freestyle, any type of, any type of pun, uh, Anything from poetry to just free verse to singing, which I've done 
I've actually sung on stage. Um, that was what won me my first uh, trophy in that event. Uh, I invoked uh, John F. Kennedy, our Spicentologist president, who said the famous words, ask not what your cumin tree cayenne do for you, ask what you cayenne do for your cumin tree. Oh, I know my audience will appreciate that. They love a good pun. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a second part, which is difficult in its own way, which is now called pun slingers, which is where two punsters are pitted off against each other and they're given a topic. Um, let's say the kitchen and you have to come up with puns based on items in the kitchen. Uh, you're given five seconds to come up with a pun, and then the next per the other person has to respond within five seconds, and it goes back and forth and back and forth until somebody come doesn't come up with a pun in five seconds, and that person is eliminated. And then two more people come up on stage, and the process is repeated until you're down to the final two people and the last person standing is your winner. That was me back in 1992. That was you. You won the pun rap battle, like a punny M&M. Basically. <laughs> so, is there no, any video I mean, evidence 91. of this anywhere where we, we can watch this? Uh, unfortunately, it's not on YouTube. Okay. Um, Let's see, it was 91, 92, and 95 were the years that I won. 91, I won the the pun slinger part. Back then, it was called High Lies and Low Puns. Uh, 92, I won with a uh, song uh, based off of John Denver's Thank God I'm a Country Boy, which I turned into rank cod and some country poi. Um, (laughs) And then I had the spice ontology pun back in 1995, and I haven't been down there since about uh, the late 90s. I think I, I think I was down there as a judge in 2005, maybe 2004, something like that. Uh, thanks to a, a guy by the name of Gary Hollick, uh, it has prospered. And it's done the museum well. Uh, it, it's a. It was at the time the primary fundraiser for the O. Henry Holman Museum, and now the museum is on much better ground, much better footing uh, with the city of Austin. And um, this is William Sidney Porter that we're talking about, uh, who went by the pen name of O. Henry. Mm-hmm. So it is for a good cause. Excellent. Well, we'll include links as well so people can go and find out more about that. Um, just going back now to the video game music, um, you completed Shadow um, Shadow Warrior and uh, your credits on video games then start to, to fade away as we come into the noughties. Did you make a conscious decision then to move on to other projects? Um, what, what happened next? Duke Nukem Forever. Oh, yes, of course, yes. The uh, endless development cycle of Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, that and Prey 
Mm -hmm. uh, I was working uh, on sounds for prey and on sounds and music for Duke Nukem Forever, although not so much music because we didn't have any levels that I could put anything to. Okay, that's interesting. So when you're writing the music, do you need to see the game for the inspiration? You need to see the levels or I like to. Hmm. I I like to. Um for example, to skip ahead a little bit, um the next project that I worked on was the twentieth anniversary world tour of Duke Nukem three D. Um I wanted to see the levels that they were putting together for that before I started writing any music for it. And I got visual visuals on all of they all of what they were working on before I started writing the music. Richard Level Lord Gray had a level that he was designing in Paris. Not that he was in Paris, the level was in Paris. And I tried to get information from him on what kind of music he wanted for Paris, since it was set around a bistro, uh, you know, French cafe, although other areas were included in that level. So I wasn't 100% sure what kind of songs to write. Uh, did he want French operatic style music? Uh, did he want current French pop? Did he want current French rock or, or what? I emailed him several times and he said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm no good at giving suggestions on this. And, he finally just said, give me bistro music. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> he shouldn't have said that. So I wrote him a waltz, a bistro waltz. And I just uh, uh, accordion a bass, a string bass, and a trap set being played with brushes. The kind of thing that you'd expect to be in a little bitty French bistro where they serve cappuccinos and espresso. His response, oh my God, this is terrible. This should never go into a video game. <laughs> I mean, the music's not bad, but it's not it's not level music. You should never put this into a video game. Well, okay, now tell me what you want. <laughs> I finally got some good feedback out of him for it. And what wound up going in was something that was more Marilyn Manson-like. And the, the song title came out as Manson. Uh, the a cross between Paris Hilton and Marilyn Manson. Um, but I incorporated the waltz into the song. I played it backwards. 
Well, I will try and find that. I think that would be a good one to play out for the credits when we when we finish this this chat. If you'll uh, if you'll allow me to do that, that's perfectly Wonderful. fine. It's up on YouTube. Good, we'll it's get, up on we'll YouTube. We'll get that in as many years as possible, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll show Mr. Level Lord Grey what a great song it really is. Um, <laughs> just uh, just bringing us up up to date. In 2018, you did release an album called Calibrations. Was that a uh, a lifelong ambition to bring out a solo album or had you brought out some solo work before that on, on an album? I'm not going to say it was a lifelong ambition, but it was sure. Uh, it was certainly a, it was, it was a cathartic moment. Um, I really felt good after doing it. Mm-hmm. It, it it was something I was a little bit scared of to do it, but seeing it out there, actually having my own album, um, I mean, something that, I mean, I, I was already a member of the Grammy organization because of uh, the work that I did for uh, Stargunner and Shadow Warrior. I was one of the first people to get entrance to the Grammy organization because of music strictly written for video games. And I was in jeopardy of losing that membership because I hadn't written anything for, I hadn't made an album in so many years. Mm -hmm. So I had to make an album. (laughs) Um, I wound up putting the album together and it was scary for that reason too you know it was a little bit of panic involved with it so put the album together released it and just watching people buy it was uh rather rather impressive too just saying wow people are actually buying this thing derivations is my latest album it uh just came out at the beginning of june Songs are all available on uh, digital release. Uh, They're available on Amazon uh, as MP3s. They're available on my Bandcamp page as uh, high-resolution FLAC or WAV files or Apple files. Um, This is an album of more original game uh, non-game files although there is one game file that is oops there went my earpiece uh there is one song on there that has its roots in a very secret song dates back to 1998 and again the E3 Expo in Atlanta. Uh, the song is called uh, Broken Throttle. Yeah, you had to sign an NDA in order to get in and listen to the thing and see the level that it was mixed up with. Um, but I got permission, uh, just secured permission to use it on my album. And it's turned out to be one of the more highly played numbers on uh, Spotify 
and it's turning. I'm actually kind of surprised by that. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are also nine other songs on there, uh, including music that ranges from rock and roll to jazz to lay laid back chill out music to classical. I mean, it runs the gamut. I mean, it's just, uh, I, to use another pun, it's a virtual grab bag of music. <laughs> Congratulations on that. And also thank you for all of the work that you've done, all of the music that we've enjoyed, because it is such an important part of video games, of, of the complete picture that makes up a video game. There are games that I played long ago where it really is only the the music that remains in my memory, you know, particular earworms. Um, the game may not be great, but you keep going back to it for the music. Uh, but in, in the examples of, of your games, we had the perfect combination of your great music and some wonderful games in Duke Nukem, in Shadow Warrior, uh, and in all of the other games that you worked on. So thank you very much for your efforts. Um, we will include links to every and any outlet that you want to share with us in the video description for people to go and click on and explore a little bit more of your music and your back catalogue. And we will play out with the uh, French bistro music that was never in Duke Nukem, but now will have its time in the light. Lee Jackson, sir, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me on. If you enjoy my content and would like to support the cave while receiving a completely ad-free experience and access to releases one week before they go public, then visit patreon.com forward slash retro man cave and join the official cave dwellers. Thank you for your support.